Welcome to another episode, actually episode number two, of the DBR Spotlight Podcast, the Daily Bible Reading Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Evan, and Pastor Hayden is actually not with me, even though I did say last week he would be with me, and so I apologize, I just forgot about his traveling arrangements. And he is on vacation, so be sure to be praying for Pastor Hayden and Kayla and Titus so that they can be rested, so they can come back and be poured into. And the next week, Lord willing, Pastor Hayden will join us for this podcast. Well, I am Pastor Evan, as I said before, and here at Compass, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ in everything that we do. Even this podcast right here is to fulfill that mission to reach, teach, and train. Now, the DBR Spotlight Podcast is a podcast as it is a resource for you to equip you to understand your Bible better as we read the Bible together as a church. And like last week, I brought some show and tell items. You know, first and foremost, here here are a couple books that we do not have in the bookstore, but you can buy online. And here are two resources that we do have in the bookstore. Uh, first and foremost, we have four portraits, one Jesus. This is a helpful resource that explains all of the Gospels and how they work together. Next is The Cradle, The Cross, and The Crown by Andres Kossenberger and Company, a bunch of names I don't know how to pronounce, and I'm not going to try to pronounce them. But this book is a great resource to uh, help you understand the whole New Testament. So these are resources that Pastor Hayden and I would recommend highly. But there's some resources I recommend even higher is because we have them available for you in the bookstore. Uh, to start off, we have study Bibles, and here is one I wanted to show you guys. This is this beautiful thing is the MacArthur Study Bible, and this is a great resource for to help you understand your Bible better in a very helpful and quick manner. And I also brought with me one of the commentaries that we do sell in the bookstore, the Bible Knowledge Commentary. This it's a two book set. I would recommend buying both, FYI. This is the New Testament commentary, and this one is a fantastic resource that actually I'm going to share with you today. Because, Compass, we started a new book of the Bible. I had my Matthew Bible, you know, book, I had my Mark book, and now I got my Luke book right here, and I'm excited. If you notice in Luke, this is the thickest gospel that we got. And actually, Paul may have written more books of the Bible than Luke, but actually, Luke has written more of the Bible than Paul. Think about that. And actually, Luke is actually the author of two books, the Gospel according to Luke and the Gospel, not the Gospel, excuse me, the Book of Acts. It's a good news of the Holy Spirit, but we'll get there in a second. So we have the good news according to Luke and the Book of Acts written by, by Luke. And actually, it makes up almost, if not over, a quarter of your New Testament Bible. So this guy named Luke, God has used him mightily to you know, further his kingdom by writing down some awesome words. And so before we, we start, I'd like to just, you know, we get our Bibles out to Luke chapter uh, 1. And this is what we're going to be re- talking through is the first four chapters of Luke. And actually, this is the prologue. This is the beginning of the movie. It's setting the stage. And actually, of all the Gospels, this is the longest prologue. You're going to notice long chapters. And there's a lot of chapters just on the prologue, the, the beginning of you know Jesus Christ as a human and what he did in his ministry. But here's a few facts that I was able to jot down to help you be prepared to read the book of Luke. 
Uh, first and foremost, the key to Luke is Jerusalem. And actually, the key to I mean, Luke, that's not just the gospel, Luke, it's Acts. Jerusalem is the focus. In the gospel of Luke, everything's going down to Jerusalem. In the, in the uh, book of Acts, it's going out from Jerusalem. Jesus is making a way to Jerusalem, and the disciples make their way out of Jerusalem to proclaim Christ. And so just to, you know, for you to know that things are starting to work towards Jerusalem. Second thing, Luke, you can say the gospel of Luke is this. You almost write this down. When you have a, under your Bible, the gospel according to Luke, this is the work of God, the work of Jesus Christ. And so this is what Luke's writing about, the work of Jesus Christ and the gospel acts. Now, a lot of people say, oh, this is the works of the church. Now, I disagree humbly. It's actually the work of God, the Holy Spirit. Luke, the gospel of Luke, the work of Jesus, and the book of Acts, the work of the Holy Spirit. See how it's still all about God? No, it involves this church, but that's when we talk about the book of Acts. Another couple things about Luke. One is that he is going to really be like a lot of the gospels, Isaiah's best friend. And so I, the Isaiah, he preached the good news. Uh, Isaiah said that there's going to be a servant of God who will proclaim the good news to the poor and oppressed. And the gospel Luke is how God preached the good news to the poor and oppressed. And also it's going to be dealing with Jesus's deity, but also especially the humanity with the there's a couple purposes of Luke, one of them being to have an orderly account to really show Theophilus, which we'll get to in a second, that what he believes is true. And secondly, that Jesus is the Son of Man. And we'll talk about in that in just a moment. But before we even pick up Luke, I actually like to read out of this, this commentary. And so, um, oh, would you look at this? Here are some bookmarks that I got from the, the Compass Bookstore. Here's my Old Testament bookmark and then here's my new testament bookmark and even i can see oh what's the month it's it's march and what is the date it's the 19th oh we're reading luke chapter 1 verses 24 to 26 and this week we're going to end in you know luke chapter 4 so there you go you can pick up these fancy bookmarks in the bookstore for free and of course i lost my spot that's okay i can find it real quick so to kind of get you ready for the gospel, Luke, I'd like to read you some facts and actually kind of sell you on the idea of getting this book. And so right away in this introduction page right here, this is a helpful place. And this is where these commentaries are helpful. It gets a lot of facts in for you so you can be prepared to read God's word. You know, the author is Luke. You know, who is Luke? Really, he's, we find out through sources, he's a doctor and he's very detailed. And hence why Luke and Acts are the, the most detailed uh, narratives. You know, one, one can almost argue in the Bible, but in the gospel, it is by far the most detailed. And furthermore, Luke was probably a Gentile who uh, was a disciple of Paul, a close companion of Paul that we see in the book of Acts, who traveled with Paul and many missionary journeys. And he was a, not only a doctor, he was a historian who took careful research of his notes of, of what he saw and also what other eyewitnesses saw. Now, the dating of Luke, and I actually don't bring this up with the other books, but this is important. The dating of Luke is really dependent on the book of Acts. And you know, our conviction is that it was written around 64 AD, so before the 70 AD. And the reason why is actually because of the book of Acts, it ends in a very positive manner of Paul going in prison, not sure what to happen, but we see later in Philippians and especially Second Timothy, he's going to die and church tradition, church tradition holds that he died by getting his head cut off by Rome. And that ha hasn't happened yet. And ha that happened at a particular date. So 
this had to be written before Paul died and at least was imprisoned probably for the second time in, in Rome. Uh, we already talked about the purposes. The purposes is to give an orderly account to Theophilus about why his faith is true and also to show that Jesus is the uh, you know, the son of man, the humanity of Christ. Something that you're going to notice, the, the, the Gentile character of this book. We're going to see that he wrote primarily to Gentiles. Now we talked about Matthew, primarily written to Christians who were Jewish. Mark was probably written to Christians who were Roman. And then Luke was written primarily, well, we see the name Theophilus. So he's written to a Greek. Now Greek and Rome might be similar, but they're different. One spoke you know, Latin, the other spoke Greek, and their cultures are similar, but a little different. And so he's writing to a Greek audience, and hence why his looks like a very much a Hellenistic uh, narrative with a very long prologue. A lot of Greek work would have a very long prologue like Luke, and so he writes in a very Greek manner. Why? To reach Greeks. Um, but also, if you notice, there's going to be different genealogy, which, which we'll t- touch on in just a moment. But what Luke, in talking about the Son of Man, is that his genealogy, unlike Matthew, Matthew ends it with Abraham. Luke goes all the way to Adam to show that this Jesus is related to Adam, to all humanity, but there's a reason which I'll save that for a later time. Now, in terms of, um, actually, here's four quick things, actually, about Luke. I I don't want to forget. All right. He wrote primarily to Gentiles, number one. Number two, he treats his genealogy to Adam. All right. Third, he referred back to Roman emperors and designating dates of Jesus' birth and then John the Baptist's preaching. So he's using dates for his audience that would understand, oh, this is when it happened. Fourth, he uses a number of words that are more familiar to Gentile readers because number five, Luke used the Septuagint when quoting the Old Testament. Some of you are like, what's the Septuagint? It's the LXX, number 70. What the Septuagint was, was a translation, a Greek translation of the Old Testament written shortly after Alexander the Great, uh, because the Greeks wanted a translation of all the holy books of the different religions, and they got their hands on the the Old Testament, and they wanted it translated, and that's where we got the Septuagint. And this actually would have been the more common Bible that they would have been used in Israel in Jesus' day, Um, and so... Luke uses the Septuagint more than he does the Hebrew text. He's using a Greek translation to uh, to quote Old Testament passages. Why? Because he's reaching a Greek audience. All right, now Luke is the final synoptic gospel. Synoptic just means similar. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. It seems like okay, these are repeated events. They're they're doing that for a purpose. And actually, just sit back and relax a little second. We need to make sure that we keep the whole narrative in mind, but we're also submitting to what the author's trying to communicate. Each author has a point. Matthew was trying to prove what? Jesus is the son of man, the son of David and the son of Abraham, the inheritance of the covenants. Mark was trying to prove that Jesus is the son of God. Luke is trying to prove that this man's faith is true. And he writes a very orderly account that Jesus was the God man. And then John will get to his purpose when we get to the book of John. But the reason why Luke and Matthew and Mark are brought up because they're very similar. Now, the dating of this is debated. Most likely, Mark was written first, and then Matthew, and then Luke. Now, that is hotly debated in the scholarship, but you know, right now, in my humble opinion, which uh, 
again, the scholars are debating which was written first, Matthew or Luke. It seems like it makes sense for Mark to be written first, and then Matthew, and then Luke um, wrote his gospel account after Matthew, and then before John. But there's five quick characters of this book that I want to let you know found in this handy-dandy commentary. Number one, Luke emphasized the universal message of the gospel more than any of the gospel. He wrote about sinners and outcasts and from Jewish society and to the Gentiles. Number two, Luke's gospel gives a reader a more comprehensive grasp of the history of the period of the, uh, than the other gospels because it's more detailed. Three, Luke really emphasizes forgiveness. Four, Luke really emphasizes prayer. Jesus prayed a, a ton in the gospel of Luke. Well, he prayed a ton, but Luke recorded it. Number five, Luke note, noted the individual place in the coming to repentance. You know, he stressed the action which must come from each individual who followed Jesus. For example, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, S- uh, Simeon, Anna, Martha, Mary, Simon, Levi, and the centurion, and uh, Zacchaeus as, as examples. Number six, Luke said more about material things than any other author in the New Testament. And then seven, Luke often spoke of joy that accompanies faith and salvation. And so this is why these commentaries like this found in our bookstore are going to be helpful for you to understand the gospel of Luke. So let, all right, let's get our Bibles out. Let's Luke, turn to Luke chapter one. We've got the intro out of the way. What are we going to read this week in our daily Bible reading? Well, right off the bat, I, I love God and how nice he is to us. He gives the purpose right away. Well, what is the purpose of Luke? Let's just read the first four verses. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, talking about Jesus, just as those who are from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered us them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. Now, he's not saying... They, they were terrible at doing their job. No, he's saying, I too want to participate in this. So, Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The purpose of Luke is that Theophilus and us as a reader can have certainty the things that happened truly happened. And so that's why it's so detailed in this book. So then from, the, um, from right away, we talk about the... John the Baptist's parents and how his birth was foretold. And essentially in this section, it's helpful to note when Zechariah and his wife and kind of the angel and hear about the coming of a child. And even though they're old, kind of representing Abraham a little bit, that they're going to be a child. And there's going to be certain characteristics of this child. He will be a, a a joy and delight to them. He'll be great in the sight of God. He will never take wine any or any other type of alcohol. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And then many people from Israel will bring, um, he'll bring many people back to God. And so through his preaching, and he'll go before the Lord. And he'll be preparing the way of the Lord. And again, all these notes are all found in these commentaries that we sell in the bookstore, by the way. And so we see John the Baptist foretold. And right after that, we see Jesus foretold. So Luke's trying to so these two really important men. John the Baptist and, of course, the most, imperson, per, most important person, Jesus Christ. So Gabriel visits Mary, and that must have been a, a terrifying sight. And here is a few things found in this commentary that they note of the what would Jesus be like? We know what John the Baptist will be like, and now we'll see what Jesus is like. One, he'll be great. 
Two, he'll be called the son of the most high, a.k.a. God. He'll be given the throne of his father, David. He'll be king. He'll rule over the house of Jacob forever, ex- you know, incorporating the Davidic covenant. His kingdom will never end. Davidic covenant again, 2 Samuel 3. And they'll be given a, a sign. So uh, like Zechariah giving a child at an old age, Mary was given a sign um, that you'll be born, as, you know, you'll get birth as a virgin. That's a pretty important sign saying this is something, you know, God did a miraculous thing in Elizabeth at an old age to be pregnant. Um, but God did a greater thing to say, I will, you know, the way that God will enter the world is through a virgin. And how amazing that man had nothing to do with the coming Messiah. So then Mary you know, visits uh, Elizabeth. She has her song of praise. And this is a great song that Mary said about her joy of following and submitting to God. And that's the thing that you need to take note. She is willingly in submitting to God's plan. She was meek, as we talked about this Sunday. So from this song, we have the birth of John the Baptist. And right there, we have Zechariah's prophecy in Luke chapter 1, verse 60, um, 67. Again, long chapters. A lot happens in Luke and so this is a psalm also noted and from this commentary. It's filled with just Old Testament quotations and, and allusions. But here's four quick things about this prophecy to note as you're reading this. Uh, Zechariah gave, gave an exer- uh, exhortation to praise God, saying you know, a command. He's like, you need to praise God. And so when we're reading this, we need to praise God. Uh, two, he noted the reason why he should be praised because he, God has come to redeem his people. I mean, what greater way to praise God to than because he came to save us? And then three, Zechariah described the deliverance for Israel through the Messiah. And so he talks about there's going to be deliverance through a particular person, the Messiah uh, to come. And so this is something to note, again, noted in this commentary. And the fourth thing noted in this commentary is Zechariah you know, prophetically described the ministry that John would have to prepare the way of the Lord. And after John's birth, what's going to happen? A mirrored. Jesus' birth. And so you see kind of a pattern building how this prologue is developing. So we have a, a compare and contrast. We have the greatest man according to Jesus, but then we have the greatest man according to all time in, in Jesus. And so with the birth of Jesus happened, we have, uh, again, a sense of the poor and outcast being reached by God. First and foremost, the shepherds. People who are thought of the lowest of lows, the lowest of society, they're the ones that heard the good news. Not the Pharisees or Sadducees or religious leaders. It was the shepherds in the field that said God said you know, to fulfill Isaiah, saying that the, the poor would have the gospel proclaimed to them. The angels proclaimed the gospel or the coming of the Messiah to the shepherds, where there is a message of salvation coming through this child. So then... Jesus grows up, and this is it can be you know confusing. How how does God, who's omnipotent, omniscient, all powerful, learn to grow as a human? Well, that's important because in order for us to have our sins covered, we need a human to cover them. Well, God humbled Himself by taking the form of man. So Jesus has it's one person with two natures. He has a full divine nature that He did not surrender whatsoever, but He took on a human nature to live out the life that you and I should have had in our place so he can cover us. And part of being human is growing up to be like human. He was sinless and he was fully human. He, he learned in the way that we should have learned. He learned God's wisdom the way that we should have learned. So he's fully man, a representative before God. So he's presented at the temple in Luke chapter two, beginning in verse 22 and again, why? Because he, we were supposed to be, well, 
any good uh, Jewish boy should have been presented at the table, a uh, temple, excuse me. So, so is Jesus to, to be that perfect human. But while he's there, Simon prophesies uh, a blessing to his family. And Simon's reminded, you know, was told, you will not die until you see the Messiah. And so here's the beautiful part. Uh, Simon, um, Simeon, excuse me, Simeon's prophecy, and Simeon actually was a true priest of Aaron, um, where a lot of the priests bought their way in. And Simeon was actually a true priest, and he was promised that he would see the true Messiah because he was meek. He was submissive to God's will and looking forward to what God had to bring, and he got to see him, and he was comforted. It brought him joy to see the redemption redemption of Jerusalem in verse 38. And then um, we also see another gal, uh, Anna, come up and prophesy and celebrate the birth of Christ. And then in uh, chapter 2, continuing in chapter 2, they return to Nazareth, and then they return back to Jerusalem every year, and he's presented in the temple, and just showing this child is a little different, and he is more wise than the wisest, but yet he's still learning. Think about that. He's wiser than the wisest, and yet he still grew up in learning, and he was the perfect human. He was fully human in every aspect outside of sin so that he can be a new Adam, a new head, you know, Romans talks about this in, in Romans chapter 5. Adam was the covenant head of all of us, and that's why we're in our sinful nature. But the reason why we can be saved is because of the perfect human nature and, and deity of, of Jesus Christ in, in our place. And so throughout Luke, it's going to emphasize the humanity of Christ. He's still fully God. He's also fully man. And why? Because he needs to be this perfect substitute, not just for us, but for the sins of the world. So then we shift to chapter three. So we have the births in the childhood of John and Jesus. So what do we have? The beginning of the ministries of John and Jesus. So Luke chapter three, we have the mission of John. He's preaching the repentance of sin. And again, he, this is where we see the focus of the uh, universal availability of the gospel in John's preaching. He preached repentance from sin. And this is where we see in Luke's account, at least, of tax collectors and soldiers, and they're asking, okay, I, I want to, but what do we do? And John reveals a, talk, a, a, reveals a life living in repentance. The, the soldiers you would rob people, and tax collectors would steal from people and be dishonest. And instead, says, you know, John says, repent from that and be generous. Uh, to them. And so John's actually giving practical instruction to people. So how do I live a life of repentance, obedient to the Lord, meek in the Lord? And then we have Jesus's baptism, which all four gospels recorded. It was a handful of events that were recorded in all four gospels, the temptations of Christ, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the feeding of the 5,000, and Jesus's baptism, which is a signal of the beginning of Jesus's ministry and what's unique about Luke is that it's very condensed than any of, any of the gospel writers. And the purpose uh, that Luke brought, brought into this in terms of Jesus' baptism uh, was to signify the beginning of Jesus' ministry and authenticate it, noticing each person of the Trinity is there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, united together in their work of this redemptive plan. And so... He identifies himself with sinners, even though he was not a sinner, to fulfill his mission given by the Father that he will complete and that the Spirit would bring in. And then we get to the genealogy of Jesus. Now, if you pay attention, it's different than the genealogy in Matthew. 
So what's going on? Now, there's a couple theories, but I'll give you what I believe it to be true. We have the genealogy of, Je- genealogy of Jesus. Well, again, where again, a couple things to note. One biggest note is he doesn't stop at Abraham. He goes all the way to Adam, the son of God, because Adam was the first son of God. And now Jesus is the son of God, the better Adam, the new Adam, the redeemed Adam to bring in a new humanity. Adam, where all humanity is led to Adam. Now all new humanity is from who? Jesus, new Adam. You're going to see this over and over and over in Luke, especially in the end, which we'll get to when we get to the end. But why is the genealogy of Jesus different? Well, because, and I, this is why I firmly believe that Luke is tracing Mary's line, not Joseph's. Joseph's line in Matthew is primarily the royal line through Joseph to show that Jesus is the Davidic king, really through adoption because Joseph wasn't his dad. Mary's line shows that Jesus is the blood descendant. His DNA is shared with David. So through adoption, Jesus is the the Davidic king. And really through his blood, he's also the Davidic king. So God's just covering all bases, removing all doubt who Jesus is. And so we see this division after uh, Samuel's uh, Solomon's son, where this new you know the lineage goes to a different child of Solomon, but really to show that Jesus truly is a blood relative and descendant of David. Joseph's line in Matthew to show that he is the ruler, the true legal heir of the kingdom of God. And then it goes right into Luke chapter four, and Luke chapter four, kind of like Matthew chapter four. How funny that th- those chapters worked out. Um, is the temptation of Jesus. Now, this is in, you know this this is something to note. The temptations is really to kind of focus on the humanity of Christ and his willingness to submit to God in them. Now, something to note, they're different order. They're a different order than Matthew. What's going on? Is, is this a contradictory statement? Is is did Luke make it a mistake? And in Matthew is bread, temple, world. But in Luke, it's bread, world, temple. Why? Because Luke is not giving a chronological. Matthew is the chronological temptation of what happened when. Then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Luke is reordering it to again to prove a point that his focus is Jerusalem. That is the main focus. That's the reason why it ends in on the temple because it's a focus on Jerusalem. So he, uh, this is Jesus preparing his, his ministry uh, he is full of the Holy Spirit. This is showing how we are supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit. We are supposed to be following the direction of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus did what we couldn't do. Here is Israel in the wilderness, 40 days, 40 years. That's the connection. And Israel uh, was miraculously fed in the desert, but then failed to follow God. But yet Jesus ate nothing and perfectly followed God, really just emphasizing he's the bee's knees. He is the man-man. He is the greatest man ever to live of all time. He is what you and I should have been, and hence why the substitutionary atonement is going to be important coming up in in Luke. So then um, right away in uh, verse 14 of chapter 4, we see his ministry begin in, in, uh, in Galilee. Uh, he returned by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he began his ministry in Galilee in his hometown in Nazareth in, in the Gospel Luke. So Jesus begins his ministry in this way in Luke to really show this, that his ministry was to declare that he is the Messiah to Israel, to his Jewish people, but they proved themselves unworthy of the blessings of God because they rejected God. 
And then the gospel then will go to the Gentiles who would receive it. Not every Jew rejected, not every giant Gentile accepted, but it was really to show that God's chosen people rejected their Messiah, and the people who were not God's chosen people were actually chosen uh, for this period. There's future promises for Israel to come, but in, in terms of Jesus' ministry, he's really revealing the hard hearts of his people who thought they were good enough to get in to heaven just on birth. And he said, no, you need, you need to be born again. So in, the, in his ministry in Galilee, it's beginning in Nazareth in his hometown and then Capernaum and, uh, to a different place where actually the hometown of Peter and Andrew, we see rejection and we see authentication and we see preaching. We see the rejection when Jesus rolled up the scroll that he read out of Isaiah and in, in Luke 4, uh, 17, he said this was fulfilled in their hearing. And they're like, who is this guy? We know this guy. What is he talking about? And then he says the kingdom is now extended to the Gentiles, and they were, they were having none of it. And actually, they wanted to kill him, and they brought him to a hill to throw him down, but they could not throw him down. Why? Because they could not kill him, because it wasn't the law. Only Rome could kill, hence why the crucifixion scene. Um, and so he passed through the mist and went away, even though he was rejected and almost killed. His people rejected him, and then he went to Capernaum, which is more a Gentile region, particularly, to reach you know, still Israel, but you know the outcasts, the people who were uh, poor in spirit, those who were mourning. So, something to note, something from the commentaries that Jesus mentions um, the mention of Gentiles rather than the Jews having God's blessing caused the people to be furious. This is uh, back when Jesus was rejected in Nazareth. So then we have Jesus um, in going to Capernaum. He heals unclean spirits. He heals many, including Simon's mother-in-law. For what reason? To authenticate his authority. Jesus healed to show he had power over the spirit, over power over diseases, uh, the demonic spirits over diseases and over nature to show that he says who he is, who he says he is. So authenticate his message. And this is why I love. His ministry isn't just healing. Actually, if you go to Luke 4, uh, 42, people want him to stay there. They sought him and he would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, this is Jesus' purpose. I love this. In verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to others as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Jesus wasn't here. He wasn't sent just to heal people. The healings were to authenticate him, to do one job, to preach the gospel of repentance and faith in him. And he is preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And this is just the region of just the Jewish region in general. And so, I mean, Luke brings this up to really show that this is the purpose of Jesus. This is the purpose of his ministry. And so as chapter five moves on, we see the, you know, the, the meat of the story it's really Lucas' point is to show this is Jesus' purpose, to preach the good news to the poor, to the oppressed, those who mourn, those who are weak, and those who are meek. And so, Compass, I hope this DBR Spotlight was a benefit and help for you. And I pray that God would use this to mightily help you grow in the knowledge of Christ and how to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. See you next week in the DBR Spotlight.